Here we go. Rejecting the screen, the going ISO edition as we do every Thursday. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast, out West, Adam Stanko, and not too far from Adam, Nate Duncan, the co-host of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast every Monday on the Locked On Podcast Network and the Dunked On Basketball Podcast. Before we get into all of those podcasts, Nate, how good of a lawyer were you? Mediocre, actually. I, I think I was good at it, but I didn't work hard enough. I wasn't like a thousand times passionate about it the way I am with doing this job. And so, I mean, I, I spent a lot of my time kind of following the NBA and then beginning my nascent career as a writer and podcaster. And so I, when I applied myself, I was good. Uh, I mean, you know, I could probably tell I like to argue and that worked out well, but I'm, I just wasn't as passionate about it as uh, I became about basketball. What kind of lawyer were you? So I was a plaintiff's lawyer. You know what that is? Uh-uh. So we take uh, plaintiff's cases on contingent fees. So we did some uh, toxic contamination cases. We did uh, airline crashes. Uh, we did uh, some higher-end uh, personal injury stuff. So that was most of what I did. Also did some insurance law. My mom is an insurance lawyer, so uh, did some of that also. So, Nate, what what's the crossover? in terms of uh, requisite skills, breaking down not just NBA games and analysis, but understanding the cap and understanding all the rules that go along with with player movement, if you will. So it just starts uh, with the cap stuff of just being able to read a legal document and make sense of it, right? When I was teaching myself the cap, I went through the entire CBA, at least the parts that were relevant to player movement that anyone actually cares about publicly. And I made flashcards out of all that. I'm like, I'm going to distill this down into just non-legalese. What are the concepts that I actually need to know? And then, you know, when I first met Danny LaRue, he and I would go over those together as we were teaching ourselves the the, the information. And, you know, we like would go on drives. Like we went up to Tahoe one time. We just quizzed each other on, on those the whole way. And so, so that's what, I mean, just actually like reading a legal document, but I think more generally, even when you're looking at film or breaking things down, the ability to say, all right, here's the information. Here is the experience that I have. And I'm going to take this information, put it into the experience that I have and come out with an argument about what you think about this player, this team, this coach, whatever it is, this off season move. And to articulate yourself there, to get the data, come to a conclusion and articulate it, I think those are very similar to being a lawyer. When you were growing up playing basketball, were you looking at the game in a similar way to the way you view the game now? I think so. I actually, I always enjoyed the mental aspect of the game, probably more than the physical aspect of the game, Mm -hmm. frankly. I mean, I, I enjoyed a lot more, you know, going to I would go with like my high school coach to scout the next opponent if we weren't playing that night for example or I'd watch film of the previous game but I actually like probably didn't work on my game nearly hard enough I I gravitated more towards the study and the mental aspect of the game than actually you know the hard stuff that makes you really out of breath (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly Um, so did you want did you want to coach you know, I mean, I think I really, at that point in time, I wasn't like the most confident teenager. So I didn't realize what actually would be 
possible for me and that I did have a good mind for this stuff. So I think I was just like, okay, you know, I'm going to play in high school and then it'll be over. You know what I mean? And, huh. and I didn't even realize that I probably, if I'd worked a little harder, I probably could have been at least a low level division one player. If I'd worked on my body and my skills a little bit more, um, certainly could have played like D three or something if I wanted to. And just at that time in my life, I just had kind of low self-confidence and I, I didn't really get it that like, Oh, Hey, like if you actually really work at something, you can succeed. And like, didn't have the ability to just plan ahead and have goals. I mean, that wasn't really something that I developed until later in life. All right. So, so take us through this just because we have an understanding of of your background, but summarize for us, if you could, just how this happens that, that you're an attorney and you're writing for basketball insiders, I think on the side. And then all of a sudden now you're Nate Duncan basketball podcaster, analyst, guy we see on Twitter doing live streaming of games. How did how did we get from point A to point B? Yeah, I mean, it started really, I think, back, you know, when I was in college, I started doing, uh, like, reading the baseball prospectus. And then in about 2002, I found John Hollinger. I was like, who is anyone doing this type of work for basketball? And so I was always, a, from a, my basketball philosophies very early on were informed by, I think, a, analytical thinking and also you know growing up in chicago and and watching the 90s bulls and and believing in sort of the team play that they espoused with the triangle offense and all that that sort of thing so i had that as a background and then when i decided to start the podcast i i did a couple of podcasts with danny larue on his real gm radio which he started a couple years before dunked on and i was traveling from San Francisco to Walnut Creek in the Bay Area, about 45 minutes each way uh, for my commute. And so I was trying to listen to a podcast and I didn't have time to watch every single game. I was like, ooh, like, why isn't there a podcast that goes over what happened in the NBA last night in the detail that I want? I was like, oh, well, maybe I should just make that podcast. And so that's kind of how Dunked On was born. And so I was still working as a lawyer. I just decided to commit to really doing this for four or five months of uh, during the playoffs of having something for on the East coast, people would wake up in the morning and they had a recap of all the games in the type of detail that that I would have liked to hear for myself. And I was lucky enough that the podcast, making the podcast that I would have wanted to hear was something that other people wanted to hear as well. You're writing the book that that you want to read, (laughs) right? That's what, that's what they say. Yeah. I mean, isn't that what most people do Mm -hmm. ultimately? That's well, it's what most people want to do. That's yeah. You get more from Nate in a moment, but now that the football season is deep into the playoffs, NBA season, getting close to the all-star game, college hoops is here, time to get off the sideline, get in on the action with my bookie. So if you're like the type of fan that likes to bet a little bit and win a lot, try a parlay. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Didn't work for me over the weekend. You can bet a couple of big favorites this weekend. Maybe that's why I didn't win since... I bet an under and a short favorite. But either way, bet a bunch of big favorites. Parlays are good for you because you you can bet a bunch of games together and get a bigger payout. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. So that means that if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra grand in free money to play with. Just use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Activate the offer. Once again, promo code LOCKEDONNBA to take advantage of my bookie's generous sign-up offer. Locked on NBA, mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. 
Yeah, I, and I, rem- I remember listening to those podcasts. Those I remember listening to those first ones. How did you handle the... Are, are, you, are your ears okay? The, our audio quality <laughs> yeah, yeah, was, yeah. was not very good <laughs> in the beginning. Um, how, how did you handle the... Maybe it's maybe it's emotional ups and downs. Looking at the looking at the numbers and seeing them go up, and then not knowing why they might go down, and then trying to figure out, all right, well, how do I keep getting them further and further up? Well, it was very interesting because when we first started on Real GM, uh, we just had it on their server, and they're just like, you know, this is the same server we're putting the the articles on, and so we really didn't know what we were doing as far as like getting the numbers, so. We start rising in the iTunes charts. You get some just some positive buzz on social media. And we actually had no idea how many listeners we actually had. Oh. But And I didn't realize also like how the iTunes charts worked, where it's like if you are have a new podcast that's really like increasing its listenership by a certain percentage, that can boost you into the top 10, even though you have nowhere near as many listeners as, you know, like a Bill Simmons or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, holy crap, we're in the the top 10 in the iTunes charts. Like, what does this mean? Uh, so finally, we shifted over to a, a server in July of 2015 after three, four months. So like, okay, we're going to actually try and monetize that. And then we got the numbers in it. And it appeared at that point, like we had enough to where, all right, it wasn't going to be a lucrative living. But if I could figure out a way to monetize it, like I wasn't going to starve. So really there wasn't that first run. So it was probably a good thing that I didn't know how many people were listening to each episode. Um, Cause I'm sure the first few, I would have been depressed about the numbers and who knows, maybe I would have just stopped doing it or something. But I mean, during that time too, we had some good guests on like Bob Volgaris was a huge guest for us early on. He has like a, a lot of clout uh, on social media. So I was able to get a few people on who were you know, really bigger names than than me and that really helped, I, th- I think, to boost it into the public consciousness as well. How is the podcast? And I, and I still want to get more into the nuts and bolts, but you, but you said that, you know, growing up that you weren't a very confident kid. How how has the podcast helped you in that sense? Oh, it's made it much worse. Uh, people crap on oh. my opinions all the time. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I've always I've always someone who was very confident in my opinions if not necessarily like, you know, the like great things that I accomplished. It's kind of a weird combination, but I've always felt like I could analyze things and put in as much work as I I could to determine what I thought was right. And so I, I think that has helped ultimately to be able to pick a position and stick to it and try to argue it. And yeah, some people are, are, not going to be happy with what you come up with but uh, i think enough people at least recognize that it's coming from a place of just trying to do the best possible job and you may not Mm -hmm. agree with me on everything but i'm putting in the work and at least it's not coming from a a place of bias or agenda other than just trying to get to the truth uh, as best we can it's funny because it almost seems like there's different factions of of what we do here and i'd sort of group us all together that you know give basketball opinions and stuff and they're those that like try to to stick to that finding a nugget of truth and then you got your trolls and it's it's just interesting the different categories that that everybody falls into i asked a buddy of mine before we came on with you he's he's a big fan of your podcast been listening a long time and i said hey is there one question you would have for nate duncan and he texted me back this which i thought was just amazing i'm so excited to uh even share this with you he said honestly i want you to ask him this 
On the night that Trump was elected president, clearly a defining moment of our lives, the history of our country, he was live tweeting like a wizard's game, the definition of inconsequential. And he never wavered. He stayed on that effing wizard's game until the final horn. How hard was that to not watch coverage of this monumental event in our lives, to ignore it entirely for the effing wizards? He goes, I'll never forget that. And then he might have because he said, or was it the Pacers? But anyway, you get my point. So <laughs> what a wonderful question. So, uh, yeah, how hard was that to uh, <laughs> to separate in that moment? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I was paying attention to the news. Obviously, I, I was aware of it. I, I was following it on Twitter to some degree. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, number one, like, I mean, and I actually, I got a lot of tweets from people, some people appreciating that, that there, here's like this side of normalcy. Uh, like Slate even did like a little, um, a little segment on it, how it was like, oh, here, at least he's talking about Tristan Thompson's offensive rebounding while uh, at least some people would say the the world burns and you know it's it's good to see that like life is going to go on and so but i did get a lot of angry tweets of like how could you possibly i said hey you know what like are you going to go to work tomorrow right like i mean this is my job this is what i do you know i'm not going to just stop doing this because uh and you know i did a podcast that night uh, on the games and and even at the end of that i did acknowledge it and i said hey you know what like you don't come here for political analysis. There's a lot of places that you can go. Like you might be able to guess what I think of what's happened, but you know, I do know that I have some listeners who are, are actually, you know, pretty happy tonight too. And you know, the, I'm not a political analyst. That's not what I do. And so, you know, there are plenty of other people who do that. You can follow their podcast. People follow me for my basketball analysis. That's what I'm going to keep doing and I'm going to largely try to keep my personal feelings out of it. And, um, you know, I mean, there's certainly things that I do in my own personal life that, you know, might support certain causes or whatever, but I don't necessarily, I didn't really think that that is what my listeners wanted from me. Um, and that I also, you know, I'm not really qualified to express an opinion. That's not what I do professionally. I talk about basketball professionally. That's why people follow me. Yeah, for sure. And I, and, and I bring it up not to even get into, obviously, any political discussion because no one's coming here for their, their political commentary either. I, I, I thought it was interesting when he said it, just the overall sentiment that, you know, staying focused on what it is that you do and understanding your lane of what's, you know, what people are going to care about your opinion for, I always find to be to be fascinating. So, you know, kudos for you for uh, covering. Was it the Wizards or, or Pacers? Do we get? Do we get? Uh, any memory I mean, I think it was just like an overall like normal gamer night. So we probably do gotcha. doing four or five games. I have two TVs. I was probably just you know see, seeing whatever happened. I, the only one I remember is like talking about like a Tristan Thompson offensive rebound. I had like a tweet <laughs> about that. And 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 you, then you're probably talking to Danny later on. For the show, how did how did you and Danny meet? We just met at uh, covering the Warriors, the thirteen fourteen oh. season, like November, or I guess it would have been October of twenty thirteen, the first year that I was credentialed. Uh, so that uh, getting credentialed actually really worked out well for me uh, to meet him, and, and uh, you know, he he brought me on the podcast for the first time. And obviously, that's been a, a great partnership for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, yeah, it certainly has. Um, and we're 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 going to get into the Warriors in a bit, but the. You said that there were a few trolls on 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 election night, and you know some people who I, I shouldn't even call them trolls, but just the people who yeah. said we're not we're not here for this. But when you hear from people who 
have a differing opinion from you and, and who might might attack. And then you have former players like oh, I've you know, I've seen Eddie Johnson go after you a few times. How do you handle one over the other? Um, you know, I mean, I think it doesn't bother me. Ultimately, I think I think that's what the, number one is that if you have a difference of opinion, I mean, there, there's two things. If we have a difference of opinion, you're coming to it from a legitimate place and you want to have a discussion. I'm always willing to do that. I'm always willing to stand up for what I said or what I think is right. Or if what, something I said previously turns out to be wrong, I probably admit that more than anyone, right? Like we do entire shows on, sure. hey, where were we wrong in our predictions? Like what, what are we changing, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't mind that. I mean, and to me, if it gets to the point of like some sort of a personal insult, then at that point I'll disengage. I'm not going to fire back at, at people generally. I, I mean, I, I there was a point at which, you know, certainly uh, the one thing that would bother me is if people were like, all right, you're like not putting in the work or you're just, you know, trying to claim that because I, I think most people would agree that I do do that. Yeah. But uh, ultimately I, I realized it really, you know, what it came to is that my social media and all this, like, it exists to serve like my business, right? It exists to serve the listeners who are supporting me. And so if I can engage in a way that's going to help that, that's going to help me, I'll do that. If not, then, you know, it's probably, I should be spending my time elsewhere. What, what about the conversations in person? Have you had conversations with former players or current players, former executives, current executives that disagree and how those conversations go? Yeah, you know, I never want to just assume that someone knows who I am. I mean, I'm kind of in a weird position because people who know me, you know, it's like it's either an on-off switch. Like either they've never heard from me because I'm not with some traditional outlet. When I introduce myself to people, they're like, what do you do? You have some podcasts. Like, you know, everybody has a podcast. So mm-hmm. there's not really a, a way to kind of sell myself in that way. But so I don't want to presume that somebody has like seen something that I've done. But if I do get confronted by uh, about it, I'll just you know, I, my position is, hey, I will always talk to you about something that you believe that I got wrong. And I will explain to you why I did that. And if you if I got something that's like straight up factually wrong, I will always correct that if I just, you know, didn't have that right. But I will always at least engage you and tell you why I, I had the position that I had. And, you know, and I'll do it in a respectful and calm manner that's not personal. And, you know, because if you're you're saying uh, I'm not doing a good enough job as a journalist and I'm saying you're not doing a good enough job as a player or coach or whatever. I mean, that's that's something that you're just you're naturally going to butt heads. You can't you're never going to avoid that. But, you know, you could be respectful and realize that, you know, people's jobs are, are just that you're going to butt heads every once in a while. If you can do it respectfully, there's nothing wrong with that. So you you sort of then allude to this that people get stuff wrong in in large part just because I always believe that they don't they don't watch a lot of it just becomes you know shared opinions and people make these assumptions based upon what they read or hear but they're not actually watching and because you're watching as much as as probably either of us know you know and anyone we know um, what are some things that you think that people just flat out get wrong based upon from public opinion compared to what's actually really going on? Oh, man, I mean, there's so many categories of that. No, I I think uh, one category obviously would be just the overall kind of reactionary former player element of just, and you can put so many things into this category, whether it's, 
you're not as tough as we used to be or players don't play as many minutes like they must be wusses now or you know it was better when there were more post-ups and mid-rangers like uh, all of those things and there's kind of like this movement now to like bring back the post-op and you know i still think number one it's i guess ultimately what it would be is like before you say something like you have to know that this is actually happening right that that's the and, and forgive me i answer is kind of evolving here as we talk mm-hmm. about it i think about mm-hmm. it but i think there's so many things that people say are happening that if you really look into it and you really watch you really go through the data they aren't happening so this straw man has been created right like supposedly like you know the lost mid-range jumper right well on ball guys big stars are taking mid-rangers about as much as they ever did and what's been lost according to research by seth partno and others is no guys are just spotting up outside the three-point line instead of inside the three-point line and so does that really matter like do you care whether a guy shoots a 22 footer or a 24 footer does that like impact your viewing experience at all the on-ball guides are doing just as much so that's a, an example of the type of thing or another one would be well they're not playing as many minutes all right well why why do you think that is like do you guys not want to win as much i mean if anything guys have better training methods they're in better shape are, are they just like wusses is that how they got to be like one of the top 10 players in the nba no the game is much much more demanding now physically than it used to be with more space to cover and uh, more frankly higher defensive effort so those are the type of things where it's like y- you may have this straw man but you're going to throw this out as a problem number one you can debate whether it's even a problem but number two you have to even know that this problem exists and i think sometimes uh, there's just uh, this reactionary element of wanting to say that it was better before without really looking at it hard and so you know i would love to just sit down and watch a game of an 80s game versus like a game from today with some of these guys who are making those complaints and point out like, hey, uh, you know, you guys don't really run much. All of this is taking place within a 15-foot box at each end of the court. Yes. All right. So can we do that? Can we can we produce that? So you sit down with choose your player who's in the media now from the 80s and you watch you watch the game and then you watch a game that's on that night. Can we produce that for a for a live stream? I mean, I, I, we we need to find someone who would do it, but it's just, it's, I understand why people aren't going to want to do that. If you played in that era, I mean, it's just natural. Like every generation goes through this nostalgization. It's not just in basketball, right? It's, it's the, you know, the generation that lived through world war two. Oh, it's these darn hippies. And then now of course those darn hippies are telling the millennials that they're a terrible generation. Like it's just, it's, I mean, I think it would be interesting. You would have to find the right person to do it, but you are really fighting against just what seem to be some natural human reactions of, you know, it was better back in my day. But I also think Adam and I talked about this on the Tuesday podcast when we were talking about Giannis and looking back on, so Giannis as, you know, won the MVP last year, but hadn't finished in the top five before that and thinking about the pressure that's on him right now to get to the NBA finals. But Jordan, who had his run of losses in the finals and was a top three MVP guy for all those, so 87, 88, 89, and 90, and he won it in in 88. And I I read a quote from, um, it was like the lead in the New York Times after he lost game two of the Eastern Conference Finals to the Pistons in 1990 that he 
didn't talk to reporters after the game, was still in his warm-ups, got on the bus, waiting for everybody else, and that this Bulls team was a gang of one, and Jordan wasn't happy about it. So, wh- so why is it that you think that this generation refuses to even consider how a guy like Michael Jordan and the Bulls were viewed at the time when he is the greatest player ever? Yeah, that's interesting. And it, that's one of those things where you know, it's so difficult to really capture the zeitgeist of a certain time, right? Like there right. certainly mm-hmm. were at that point negative articles about Jordan. If you go back and read like the Jordan rules, for example, there's this mm-hmm. thought that he was this ball hog and like, yeah, he doesn't have any help. But then other people might say, well, he's not making his teammates better the way Bird and Magic did. And, you know, the Pistons are a real team and and the Bulls are a a one-man team and they have these Jordan rules that can stop him and he can't pass it and have a a counter to that. So I think there there were people saying that at the time. And then today, you know, so much of – there's so much media out there. Our perceptions are based so much on what we decide to read, right? Like I I have – a bunch of my media friends will message me sometimes with just like terrible takes or tweets or whatever. And I'm like, wow, I didn't see that because – I have like curated my news feed down to the people that I actually trust. And so, you know, if uh, some uh, talking head on ESPN says something in the morning, you know, that's not who I'm going to a lot of times for my basketball analysis. Right. So it's really hard to me just to compare one to the other of like, you know, are we going to take a survey of all the newspaper articles here in, in this time? And we're going to survey all these uh, negative articles about Giannis here and like you know, determine who has more pressure. I, I think, you know, it, it's interesting to discuss, but it's also, I, I think it's hard to come up with a conclusion of, you know, who actually was under more pressure, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, obviously if Jordan, uh, you know, if LeBron did something like that today, he would get killed on social media, <laughs> but you know, maybe there was a negative article in the paper about Jordan and that was the, the or on the local news. And that was the right. equivalent back then. So who knows? Yeah. We went into some of that detail when we talked to Peter Vesey, it was interesting sort of making that comparison over, over the course of different eras and all. Uh, Nate, as it pertains to the Warriors, a team obviously you're real familiar with, people are divided into two groups. There's a group that thinks, okay, after this season, next year, Warriors get their core back, the core that did so much damage in the regular season, certainly with their trips to the finals, even pre, pre-KD, that that Warriors team is is going to be ready. Boom, they step on the court, they're going to be good to go. And off, off they go, off and running. And obviously, there's a lot to be figured out with D'Angelo Russell and all, and 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 in terms of some of the rookies and everything. But then there's another group that thinks, well, wait a minute, the the league has now partly caught up to where the Warriors were. KD's not there anymore. A lot of teams were aiming for them, so sort of built their teams, or at least delayed where they wanted their teams to go. So I'm curious, what is your thought on what happens when the Warriors get everyone back next year? and uh, make another go at a, at a championship run? You know, it all depends to me just on what the effects of age and health are on those three guys, Clay, Steph, and Draymond. And, you know, who knows? I mean, Andre Guadal obviously was a huge part of their team, and he'll be, who knows if he'll be back. People are kind of assuming that he'll be back with the Warriors next year, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how much that costs them. And, you know, if he ends up in L.A. and wins a championship or and he's going to be 36, probably, too. And so it's hard for me to see them being necessarily a regular season juggernaut. They may come out real hard that way uh, just because they, they're rested kind of the same way the Lakers did this year, where they've got something to prove to say that they're back. But I do think it'd be hard for them to sustain it 
throughout the entire year. Uh, and just because of the age, and it might not be smart for them to do that. But, you know, we really don't know, right? Like, Clay Thompson is probably going to miss an entire year with an ACL. Steph Curry is going to be 32. Like, the greatest players in NBA history have been able to maintain, you know, superstar level of production at 32. But And I, I put him in that group, but it's hard to really know that. Uh, Draymond Green, undersized power forward slash center. Uh, he's shown some flashes this year. How often can he bring it? at that point in time what are they going to get and then you know if you're going to build around them what do they get with the draft pick this year what do they get with that 17 million dollar trade exception so I, I it's really hard to know like i think it's very possible that they could be back at that highest level i mean we saw that that team if clay thompson were healthy for the entire finals not to mention uh kevin durant and if they had had any competent wing to replace kevin durant they probably win the finals over a really, really good Toronto team. And they, you know, they beat a good Houston team and they swept the the Blazers with that group. So I, I think like they could be really good, but you just don't know what the effects of, of the age and obviously the ACL on clay uh, are ultimately going to be the, even an incremental loss could sink them. Any idea how a number one overall pick or what type of, mindset he'd have to have how a number one overall pick would fit in with a team that would want to be winning a title right now yeah you know i talked about this with hollinger yesterday that it's going to be such a difficult decision for them because there isn't that zion that carl anthony towns that anthony davis in this draft i think most people agree with that that sort of player you just go ahead and draft that guy even if he's not on the same timeline as the other guys Mm-hmm. James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball. And you could maybe see how those guys would help eventually. Maybe they get to be really good players that they could help bring in the next era of Warriors basketball. And, you know, the Joe Lacob and company have talked about wanting to be the Spurs and having this 20-year dynasty, et cetera, et cetera. So if that's their priority, maybe they draft that guy and they don't maximize their championship odds for next year. Or then maybe they trade the pick because I think it's it's pretty clear that they could trade the pick and get more help right now and really boost their odds of a championship. But I don't see whoever they draft being a guy who's going to help them, you know, win the conference finals and finals games. When you look around the league in general, and you know, I sort of alluded to this with the Warriors question, the idea other teams caught up to them for the last few years, we saw a bunch of other teams sort of make that decision. Are we going to try to compete with the Warriors now and what they sort of offer in terms of firepower and and their ability to space the floor and having so many shooters and you know you'll have to outscore them? Uh, or do we just wait it out and, and go long-term? And now all of a sudden, without the Warriors in play, we've seen all these other teams sort of strategize kind of kind of differently. When you, when you look at the league and where it is now in terms of where guys went, player movement this offseason, what's, what's, what's your general take on and how it's shaken out so far and, and where it's going to go the next few years in terms of some of these personnel decisions. Yes. I think so much of it depends on Giannis at this point in the Bucks. right? I mean, the Bucks, I can't remember another team that's had this level of a start. I mean, they're on pace for 70 wins and is getting so little attention. Like how are they, not the presumptive favorites with what they're doing. Well, I, there's a couple of reasons. I'm not saying they necessarily should be the presumptive favorites. They probably would be for me, but 
uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'd give them more than a 50% chance of winning the championship as of now. I mean, number one, it's just Giannis and, you know, Chris Middleton is a low-level all-star and a bunch of other guys, and they kind of have this system that we know works really well in the regular season and did not work ultimately against Toronto, although people forget how close they were to winning that series. So they don't have as much star power, probably the fact that they're in Milwaukee has a little bit of it. And then you've got Kawhi and LeBron in the opposite conference, and the Clippers are just sort of easing into the season. Um, And they also just struggled against Philly a little bit. So I think there are legitimate questions about does this system that they have, they're kind of one-trick ponies on both ends, where it's Giannis plus shooters on one end, and then the other end it's barricade the crap out of the rim and make you just shoot everything from the outside. If those systems break down on either end, you know, and you don't know whether a team can do that in the playoffs, then maybe it falls apart. So that that's number one. I mean, we could just have this dominant team, and by the end of the year, we're like, what the hell were we talking about? Like the Bucks just lost three games during the playoffs; they were unbelievable. Like why why were we even pretending anyone was close to them? Mm-hmm. Or we could say, well, the Bucks lost in the second round of the Sixers again. And Giannis Antetokounmpo is not going to take the designated player veteran extension. And he could be on the trade market as early as this year and, and potentially for 2021. So I think it's really what happens with the Bucks is going to drive so much. And you'll see whether teams are trying to keep 2021 cap space open once you see what happens with the Bucks this year. And, and it's fair that you say that the Bucs aren't getting a whole lot of attention because we're recording this on a Monday afternoon for Thursday, and Adam and I recorded our Tuesday episode in which we led with the Bucks on Monday morning. So you haven't heard that yet. So I totally understand where you're coming from that the Bucks aren't getting that the Bucks aren't getting <laughs> enough attention. Yeah. Well, I guess you, the, the Packers are in the uh, are in the NFC Championship too. That's another thing. That's but, true. Uh, yeah. That's, at that's least true. in the local market. And Nate, no one's here for your NFL analysis okay that's right yeah no stick to basketball i might even i might even edit that out because when if someone hears you say an nfl (laughs) team i think they might i think they might just drop (laughs) off um nate give me your and and i sent you this beforehand give me your all underrated underappreciated team and also on the overrated side all right well it's not necessarily by position here but the first player i'm going to start with is trey young and the numbers have been a little kinder recently Uh, to him uh, as far as some of the on-off stats. But this guy is doing stuff offensively at age 21 that, you know, if it weren't for Luka Doncic, we'd be talking about how what he's doing is unprecedented. And he's always going to be linked to him due to that trade. And people are like, all right, this is ridiculous. I'm not putting a guy on a 10-win team in the All-Star game or or even potentially starting the All-Star game. People don't understand how unbelievably terrible the rest of that team is i mean they are so bad they have had no backup point guard like their their offensive rating goes down by like almost 20 points when he's out of the game um and they have really nothing at center they're starting two rookie wings most of the year one of whom might be the worst rotation player in the nba in cam reddish he sets up a ton of open threes and they can't make any of they're shooting like 32% from three as a team. And he's shooting like 37, 38%. So do the math on how bad everyone else is. And then John Collins has been out for 25 games. So who on this team is even an average NBA starter other than him? I don't think you could find anyone. Uh, and they looked a little better with Collins and Herter back recently, but it's not his fault. And people want to focus on his defense. Yeah, it's terrible. 
but he is a point guard. You know, there have been a lot of bad defensive players who have been on fine defensive teams. He's like problem number four with their defense, not mm-hmm. problem number one. So uh, I think he's been awesome. I ranked him as my number four uh, overall prospect under 23 in the NBA. And I think that his critics are eventually going to end up with a lot of eggs on their faces when it's all said and done. Another one who I think is still not getting enough credit and, you know, he's on social media a lot, but he plays in Memphis, John Morant. Like he is another guy who's just been awesome. And I think he's a top five player to watch in the NBA already. Mm -hmm. This guy does dribble moves that we've seen from only a few players and some just like totally original stuff. He can get by anyone he wants to off the dribble in an ISO. You know, they haven't really gone to that a ton yet. Uh, You know, he's playing limited minutes, only 30 minutes coming off of that knee surgery this year. Uh, He's incredibly athletic. I think he's going to be fine defensively. His vision is really good. He's pushing the pace incredibly well. They're playing at one of the highest paces in the NBA. And I think he's just an unbelievable prospect and, you know, one of the most exciting players to enter the NBA in a long, long time. And, yeah, he gets some buzz. He's the number two overall pick, but I still think people are too low uh, on this guy. And I also think that he and and you can you can fly through all the others too, and and on the overrated side as well. Yeah. But I also think that he gets the the respect, John ja Morant from the from the former players because he tries to dunk on everybody, and yeah. I think and they and they like that. Another guy who I think was very overrated, and now. There's been like a little, we see this a lot, right? Where there's this, this yin and yang, Kristaps Porzingis, first he was the savior for New York. Then he got injured. Then he got traded, gets the max contract, uh, and then comes back this year. And his traditional numbers are not, not that good. He's been below average efficiency. There's the flap about him not posting up enough. But I think you've seen in these last like six or seven games when he's been out, his value, especially the Denver game to this Dallas offense with being able to, or, or uh, spread the floor and shoot over any kind of a contest. I, I mean, he just, especially when he's playing center, you have to guard him with your center. That is just causes so many problems, opens up so much for Luka Doncic, and then to actually be able to protect the rim at the other end. Yes, you know what? He's not a guy that you're throwing it to who's going to go score, create offense, pass the ball, be your number one engine. But he is about as valuable as you can be as you know, a second or third banana because he does so many things, whether it's deterring shots at the rim that never get taken or allowing his teammates to get layups because the opposing bank is guarding him 25 feet from the basket that aren't showing up on the stat sheet at this point. Um, and then the other two I would throw in, P.J. Tucker still. I mean, to mm. be 34 years old, and playing like, you know, he's playing like 40 minutes right. in some of these games, never gets hurt, shoots the corner three very well, gets a ton of clutch offensive rebounds, guards every position on the floor. Like Houston's defense would be so bad without him, and he alone has been able to get them to respectability these last few years, uh, along with Chris Paul when he is healthy. But Paul's gone now, and they're still – around average and you look at the defensive talent on this team and it's really it's all him um and finally this is not a player but i think mike budenholzer is not getting enough credit this year i I mean he was coach of the year last year the team lost one of their better players they're even better this year and it's like oh well you know that's just this is just what we expect like 
no, to, and to have such a disappointing year, to have them come back and be even better, like I, I think he deserves a ton of credit for the job that he's doing. Once again, we'll see how he does in the playoffs, but as a regular season coach, he's been awesome. Well, aren't I always said that the coach of the the coach of the year award is so much of it is based on what your preseason expectations sure. are for that team, and if they if they exceed them, then it's oh well, yeah, look look what Nate McMillan did or. Look what anybody anybody else did who exceeded the expectations, and oftentimes that the 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 best coach, the guy who's just done it again, gets overlooked. Another guy who I think we really aren't talking enough about because there's so many other storylines, but it's surprising to me. Frank Vogel, well, like, totally. like oh, yeah, who had absolutely. this team as a top five defense coming into the year, and yeah, totally. LeBron is kind of a self motivator. I get that. I mean, they have a lot of defensive talent on this team. He's getting them to compete every night they the rotational decisions have been kind of difficult but they've gone past that uh they only really have one ball handler that you can trust uh, i mean they are way way above expectations like why isn't he getting any credit here and and and, and also i think it's uh, i think it's also a great win for frank Vogel that we have not heard jason kidd's name since sure. the preseason absolutely yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you want to fly through uh, any overrated guys that you have, and then we'll uh, throw some quick hitters and get you out of here. Yeah, I mean, D'Angelo Russell, longtime listeners of my program would know he's mm-hmm. probably there. I, I think him making the all-star team in a week east as an injury replacement, I think it might even been like two injury replacements ultimately uh, that got him in there. And then getting the max contract, I think if you really look at, at what he does, you know, maybe he helps get a bad offense closer to average, although even with Golden State, he hasn't necessarily been able to do that this year. He's really had a lot of trouble staying healthy over the course of his career. And so when, when you talk about him as an all-star player, maybe this great trade asset, uh, max no-brainer max contract, no, I, I think that does overstate his contributions. Yeah, I think, it, I think it'd be pretty funny if you actually, if you had an, an overrated team and you're like, no. Just D'Angelo Russell. I'm I'm just putting. Well, I'm just putting D'Angelo Russell on the team. Um, DeAndre Jordan would probably be another one, and I think most people understand he's coming off the bench now. But you know, to have paid ten million for a year for a backup center. Granted, they're obviously that was part of the deal with getting Kyrie and KD. But I mean, I think even really for the past three or four years now, his immobility defensively his reputation far outstrips uh, where he was uh, for some time now yeah i think doc i think doc still votes him for defensive player of the year though <laughs> <laughs> i think i think that still works all right let's do let's do a few quick hitters and you, you said you grew up um, in chicago watching the bulls could the triangle still work you know, I don't think so. Uh, just because you th- like, you got to just have more guys standing outside the three point line, and I think it could work back in the day because it, you couldn't have all uh, as much cheating off of guys uh, unless it was a hard double team. Now, though, everyone is standing too close to one another that it's just too easy to help and recover. That's why spacing the floor is so important. Uh, not even the number of threes that are being shot, but just where guys are standing to where players have to recover back to their man. Uh, And also like the triangle doesn't really have pick and roll and pick and roll is still, uh, and doesn't have a lot of like dribble handoff action at the elbows either. And there's a little bit of that, but with the 
the back door that they have on the weak side. But uh, I, I don't think it could work any longer. I mean, there are certainly some elements of the triangle. Steve Kerr has used some of that stuff. But even that, I mean, you see that he, whenever Steph Curry has been out, they really have not been able to score very well, even in the Kerr era. And so I think you just, you have to take advantage of spacing and the pick and roll and what the rules are today. And I don't think the triangle does a good enough job of that. Should Kyle Kuzma be moved by the Lakers? Should he be moved? Yeah, I think so. Uh, because the value is fit in the playoffs next to LeBron AD doesn't really work that well. If he plays either he or LeBron probably has to guard the best perimeter scorer on the other team, or he's got to guard the two and Danny green's got to guard that guy. You probably also have to play AD at center. And surprisingly enough, some of their best units have been with the traditional center and AD on the floor, just having that overall size. So, uh, you know, I don't think he's a bad player by any means. I think just the fit is rough. And so to get either another guy who could be more of a traditional three and D guy, one more ball handler uh, as well. Um, I think that would make a little more sense. They do have some trouble because getting up enough matching salary to move. Uh, but yeah, I, I think they should try to see what's out there for him. And that the rumored Bogdanovich for Kuzma trade, I think I would love that for the Lakers. The Kings didn't seem to love it that much, but that's sort of a deal to just, just a question more of balancing the roster than it is necessarily about the player being particularly overrated or underrated. Mm-hmm. How do you decide which games to watch and record about? Uh, part of it, obviously, is just what we think people will be interested in. Uh, another part of it is who have uh, we not seen or talked about for a gamer in a while? I just kind of have this. I don't have a formal spreadsheet. I think Danny and like Kevin Pelton, they have that of like, okay, I haven't seen this in a while, but you know, if a player has just come back, like kind of whatever I'm interested in, whatever I feel like I need to do to keep up with, you know, all 30 teams really have a great idea of what's going on. That's the number one consideration. What do you think is the the one stat or metric that that is not currently being evaluated as, I guess, efficiently or even at all as it should be? Oh, that's an, an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think an easy answer would be points per game, especially now it's for young guys because it's with this fast pace that we're playing, a high offense environment, you know, there's just so many players averaging 20 points a game compared to mm-hmm. where we were 15 or 20 years ago that that in and of itself doesn't mean that much. You got to look at, number one, the player's own personal efficiency, and then number two, you know, are you actually driving efficient offense for your team as well and so i I think that's that's more important because there's just so many young players that you you know andrew wiggins is averaging like 24 a game this year right like and so it just doesn't mean as much as it did in the past best thing you ate on your trip across the country oh baby that is a a tough one i i I, this is the first one that comes to mind and there probably were better uh, well no so number one would be my sister's restaurant uh, it, called Galit in Chicago, which is uh, probably the best Mediterranean food uh, in the country. Just the best hummus, the best pita you're ever going to have. You can't even begin to understand like how much better it is than like most uh, food of that type. So it's, it's, it's up for an award this year in Chicago. I'll plug her. She's the beverage director there. 
Wait, so wait, wait, which All Star is hosting a All Star party at Galit in Chicago in February? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot the All Star game is there. Yeah, I mean, all all of these international players are going to be All Stars. They they should be having a party at a Mediterranean restaurant. Yeah, well, well, uh, sadly, Omri Caspi no longer in the NBA and uh, not not a threat for the All Star team. Maybe if uh, Denny Abdia, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, who might be a top ten pick this right. year. Uh, would be the guy but so outside non-family division yeah right um i had this awesome burger for breakfast at a place called clementines in winnipeg manitoba Hmm. which was like a burger with this like pho reduction broth and had you know some of like the cilantro and the typical like pho flavors on it and so it was cut in half in like a bed of this broth and you like dipped it in there and ate it was breakfast i don't know why it was called breakfast but it was awesome it was it was just a very unique thing that i hadn't had before there might have been i mean i probably could have 30 potential contenders uh, on this list i mean some of the stuff in vancouver was unbelievable but that was the one that i had that kind of sticks out to me especially you know you wouldn't think that the middle of uh winnipeg manitoba would, would get you some great food but yeah that was just an awesome breakfast last quick hitter for me what's the one part about being a lawyer that the movies consistently get wrong oh that you're like i mean for most lawyers criminal lawyers i mean it's a little different but that you're actually like in court regularly yeah i mean like we would have probably one case a year at our firm that we had like 20 25 lawyers that actually went to trial as a civil lawyer so i mean it's just a lot of it is discovery getting the information i mean i think people just don't get that you know 99% of cases or whatever it is end up settling do you want to work for an nba team you know i did for a while that was my initial goal uh but now i think i i'm just so happy doing the podcast i have the flexibility to work from anywhere uh you know seeing as starting a family soon I, some of the people that I talked to in the NBA, they don't necessarily seem that happy after a few years. Um, so, and I, I just love what I'm doing so much. I had a few interviews that didn't end up going anywhere a few years ago, but uh, it would take like an overwhelming offer that probably wouldn't be realistic for a podcaster who's never worked for an NBA team before. Nate, it's the Rejecting the Stream podcast. So we always like to end the podcast by asking our guests, end of game situation, you need a bucket. Who are you going to? All the players, let's say, are currently in the league right now. Uh, who are you going to to reject the screen, go ISO, and get yourself a bucket in the in the waning moments of a ball game? I think it's got to be Kawhi Leonard uh, because it doesn't matter whether it's a mid ranger or or a three. Now you probably actually prefer a mid ranger. You you're trying to run the time down to take the last shot. It's probably the game's probably tied, so he can create the space. He can shoot it now going either direction, has that high release, and he doesn't get bothered by a contest. So he's probably my guy. All right, so there's our headline for the podcast. Nate Duncan, colon, quote, you'd prefer the mid-ranger. Okay, good. Great. Got that. <laughs> At the end of the game, yeah, I think actually kidding. sometimes yeah, teams yeah. Right. Of course. don't go to the mid-ranger in the last Agreed. couple of minutes when you just you just need a score to put the yep. game away, right? So yep. All right, so let's plug a few things. Galit. In Chicago, yes. sister's restaurant, G-A-L-I-T. Yes, sir. Okay, Galit in Chicago. The Hollinger and Duncan podcast. 
on Locked On Podcast Network, the Dunked On Basketball Podcast. You can hear Nate and Danny LaRue, the Patreon page. Anything else? Uh, yeah, the uh, NBA cast where we do a right, sure. live second screen experience. Uh, for uh, We do it pretty much every night during the playoffs, once a week during the regular season. The idea is you mute your TV and you listen to us call the game. We take questions uh, during commercials. So we're doing... Uh, we're doing that on Wednesday this week, and, and there's a, a link to it in my uh, my Twitter bio or the hashtag uh, NBA cast. And that's at Nate Duncan NBA on Twitter. Nate, I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Nate. So there are a bunch of things that I really do appreciate about how Nate goes about his business. And again, we, we've had a lot of guests on who have all sorts of different opinions, and I don't always agree with all of them. The same with Nate. But I also so respect his process and the homework that he does that I do appreciate his approach to things more than anything else. One of the most difficult things to do when people are interviewing you or you're asked to give your opinion constantly and as someone who you know, hosts radio shows, Noah, and certainly we do the podcast, is the idea that we're sort of expected to know everything. And I think he has a great sense of what he knows and he's careful about what, like you said, he watches so much and he weighs in on the things that he is particularly paying interest to. And so if that's the thing, it's easy to come out there and, and tweet about or comment about, oh, this guy is, I hear it all the time. Oh, this guy's garbage. This guy can't shoot. Right, right, There's right, no right, mid-range. Right. Like all these like varying opinions on things and you're not watching, or at least not in bulk, or you're not doing the research after the fact. And that's something I've always respected about what Nate does, is that he's particular about how much he's watching and then what he's watching for, and that's what he's commenting on. So when you get his Twitter feed or his podcast, it's things that he has taken the time to dive into, learn about, and then he shares that with others. And so it's always weird to me when he guys like him, people hate on his opinions that's always strange to me yeah well but it's because it's different and because it's so analytics driven and, and, and most of the time he's taking heat from a former player usually that's the case it's, it's something that blew me away i was listening to a podcast of nate's danny larue and they were talking i forget what they're talking about and and it was danny i think who said yeah that was the pick they got in the uh talon horton tucker trade and i was like I almost, I almost, I was at the gym and I almost dropped the weight. I was like, wait, wait, what? Wait a second. That just, you just knew that? That's the pick they got in the Taylor Horton Ducker trade. Honestly, I, I, I didn't know whether to drop the weight or throw it through the mirror or, or what. And, uh, and, they, and they said, yeah, yeah, I think, I think so. I, I was, I, I'm just, I'm always just floored by the, the knowledge of that type of stuff of where the picks come from and, and the CBA and being able to digest that stuff and, and really not, and, and usually in, put it into layman's terms and, and make, not make the listener feel dumb. Right. And it's wild that Danny LaRue and Nate Duncan find each other because of how they view the game and how seriously they take the cap. And again, how players can get moved and some of the CBA fine print, all that stuff that these guys have this crazy interest in and both are able to articulate it to the listener, as you say, and then 
I love the fact that there's now just this audience for it, that there are all these people like myself, like you, who do care about this stuff, who could spend hours trying to figure out, okay, what is, does it make sense? Like, let's dive on the NBA trade machine. Like all these people now, it, it's funny. It didn't exist like that before, at least in my world. I had my friends that cared about NBA or cared about college basketball growing up and cared deeply, but I couldn't get into them, like some of the specifics of the collective bargaining agreement. And now there's right, this, right. there's this whole group that is fascinated by it and myself uh, among them. Yeah, and I and I really do appreciate the conversations that Nate and John have about the front office, those oh, types of the, behind yeah. the, the behind the curtain stories. I, I I really do like that, and also that yeah that there is a form for it, and also I enjoy listening to that. But then also I I don't just pigeonhole myself in that in order to get the broad view of how others are thinking about the league. So then I will listen to just the mainstream radio or what is being said on ESPN in the morning, just because oftentimes that's what ends up driving some sort of conversation that I'll probably have that day. So again, you can subscribe to the Hollinger and Duncan podcast. That's on the lockdown podcast network comes out every Monday and follow Nate on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA. He's Adam Stenko on Twitter at Naismith lives. I'm at Noah Koslov, C-O-S-L-O-V. It's Rejecting the Screen every Thursday, the long-form edition. We go ISO with anybody and everybody associated with the NBA. Then on Tuesdays, about 25, 30 minutes of us talking hoops and a little bit of life. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.